Well, hello everyone and uh, welcome to St John's Virtual Church. Uh, this morning is uh, Sunday the 9th of August and uh, this is our, our virtual output. We're also open uh, for said Holy Communion services at 10 o'clock. So this is running in parallel uh, for those of you who are unable or, uh, to be honest, just a bit worried about coming into church and that's absolutely fine. Uh, that's great. If you would like to join in uh, Holy Communion next week on the 16th of August, do please let uh, Sue McNeil know. Uh, however, I am away uh, from church on Sundays 23rd and 30th of August, so it won't be, won't be having communion there until September uh, after that. Um, just a couple of little bits of housekeeping, especially well, a special welcome uh, for those of you who are touching base with us for the first time. Do uh, just make contact, let us know how things are going, and if we can help you, we will. Um, evening Bible study tonight, uh, carrying on our walk through the letter of Galatians, are wondering about uh, the promises of God, how they worked out in God's people. Um, also, this week is the Wednesday coffee at 11 o'clock. I think we're going to draw stumps on that one for a bit, see how things go, but um, make that probably the last one. And I do uh, encourage you to um, use a Zoom or other apps that are available. Uh, to um, uh, stay in contact with friends and I know a lot of you have got WhatsApp groups in your streets and so forth but I uh, think that that one's probably served its turn for the time being. Uh, we will of course review it and look at it uh, should things uh, go back into lockdown. And uh, thirdly, uh, last thing uh, on notice is uh, church is open for private prayer again now that the builders have finished. Uh, the scaffolding is still up um, because there are other bits of bobs we can get done uh, but the builders are not in and out as they were before. So uh, do uh, meet, uh, do uh, go in and I encourage you to enjoy a time of private prayer. Uh, and of course, there's uh, tables and chairs outside if you are prepared to socially distance and keep and catch up there. So that's great. Let's begin with Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Father, as we gather together this morning, we pray that you would be with each of us in our homes, with one another. Remind us of the bonds of love that join us to you and to one another. Amen. The reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness 
and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realms of death. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of death, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent, and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are, are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So thank you very much, Catherine, for reading that uh, long, quite long passage and quite involved one. Uh, and it's Peter's sort of first speech uh, to explain what's going on. But my question is, there's a lot of detail in there. And I think it's really good to sort of go and study that perhaps as a group or ask me for some notes if you want to, some guidance uh, around where to look for those sorts of things. But my question was, um, I wonder what the church has to say. And so what I think it is, is from this passage is, and God will not give up. God will not give up on us. He will not give up on his promises. He will not give up on his people. Uh, and that is really wonderful, isn't it? Because um, this is this long speech is the first big occasion since Jesus's death and resurrection and it defines what we're about. So it's important to know who this people is. Who are they? Who is this church? Uh, and it's worth looking at. The crowd are presented with a group of disciples who to some appear to be drunk. Um, but they are in fact inheriting the life God had promised 
to all who put their faith in his Messiah, Jesus Christ. Christ means saviour. And that's really important. Peter uses the prophecy from Joel to explain what is happening, that God would give his Holy Spirit to his people. And those people are now walking in front of them in Jerusalem. They're walking around in everybody, everybody can see. And that's the invitation, isn't it? A, a group of people whom God is so clearly with them that other people want to know more. That was the original sort of intention, if you like, of the kingdom of Israel, that they would be able to show the other nations what Yahweh, the God of Israel, was really like. And so that's the invitation. And that was that God had done something like that in the past. That he had poured out his spirit on people. He poured, but he'd only poured it out to a few individuals. The patriarch Joseph, for example, is filled with the spirit in order to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. But now the spirit is upon all. The invitation is to everyone, regardless of age, gender or class. It's not just for a religious elite or for one or two prophets. It's for everyone not just the super experienced or people who've been on a course, but anyone who in their heart says Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. So they see that this heart, this spirit is in the heart of all of them. And God had promised this. This was what he had said. This is what he had told uh, the prophet Jeremiah, for example, where he said, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. This was the new kingdom God had promised that was starting to take shape. How exciting that must have been. And the spirit is writing the law on the heart so that we do things not because they're demanded, but because we know they are right and that they are God's ways of doing things. That's the essence of love, isn't it? To, to do what is right without needing it to be demanded. So that's really important. Last week I had a bit of an incomplete thought, not the first I'm sure, um, when I wondered about the way the sound of the Lord arriving was described in the early part of this chapter. And the word used was echoed. And I wondered, and I was wondering whether actually maybe the par part of that is to make us think about um, how we reverberate with his voice, with his story, with his truths. Um, this week there's a similar sort of verb going on, the word echeo. Uh, which is to describe how the Lord poured out his spirit to overflowing. It's constant pouring like a waterfall. God's Holy Spirit pouring upon his people. He is not stingy and holding back. He is pouring so that they, we, these people overflow. So perhaps the way to reverberate with his wonders and his truths and echo, if you like, his story, is to overflow with these truths so that they, the joyful truth just can't help but escape that it leaks out of us uh, like light breaking through darkness a tap you can't turn off something you just can't contain and so maybe you can ponder that at the moment but also think at the moment if you're frustrated that we can't have some worship at the moment here they were worshiping uh, in the in the public arena they were proclaiming God they were talking about him with one another and and with the wider community and that's worship too isn't it to proclaim the glories of God in his power so that's important to hold on to. And we see that that takes shape. The way they live together becomes part of their worship too. So let's let's be expansive in the way that we think uh, about what worship is while we are unable to do the thing that perhaps is your favourite or, or, or how you understand worship. 
second thing is is that Peter draws into this this speech is this part of explanation it's not just a random event it's it's part of their Jewish history this should have been expected because God had been promising from the Old Testament that he was going to continue working with his people and he quotes this Psalm 16 uh, to show that there was this promise to David and uh, King David and that that would be made good that God would be good to that promise that promise was to establish a an everlasting king like David but actually even better because this king's throne would be everlasting his rule would endure forever it's not the sort of rule that a grave could contain David had died and was buried nearby as, as Peter points out we know that sort of King David um, after King David, Israel took a kind of a downward spiral politically, economically, socially. Everything went wrong after David. And I think that's quite important, actually, that, that at the height of their rule, at the height of their, their kind of their power, God said there's more, actually, than the things that you're enjoying. I've blessed you with all the good things that you can think of, but there's more. There's an everlasting kingdom that will be even better than this. And we also know that so God's promise was for more. And we also know that from their history, they kind of descended into this spiral of dreadful kings. Mostly were or most of them were awful. Often they were pagan and they were rarely the royal examples of, of, of God on of God with his people on earth that they were looking for. But God didn't give up on his promise. Jesus, we read from the early parts of the Gospels, was in fact from David's line. That was the prophecy. That was one of the promises that God had made. And so though Jesus had died, for declaring himself king, Jesus' tomb was empty, not like David, more so. Everlasting life was in this one because death cannot hold Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah and the Messiah cannot be held by death. There's a really mixed metaphor going on here and it might be a translational issue, um, so I don't wanna to get too involved in it, but it's sort of likening death to a mother being unable to stop giving birth, her child being born um, but if you want, if it helps, sort of try and have the image of in John 1 verse 5, where, where John describes that um, darkness cannot overcome the light of life that is Jesus Christ. So it's important. What's interesting as well is that Peter doesn't try to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. It seems to be like a common knowledge. It seems to be a thing that people knew. We, we today, we spend time sort of reminding people of the truths of that but Peter doesn't have to it's it's kind of going around this it's going around the city and that's quite important in the third psalm that Peter quotes David perceived that the father would invite the son to inherit and rule this kingdom <laughs> so this kingdom was something that was going to be established and and it's something to which we are to also invited because the risen Christ rules a forgiven and redeemed people that the cross on which Jesus died became the invitation to life everlasting it's the place where our sin was dealt with by a promised Messiah Jesus Christ so that those who believe in him would live with God and he would live with them and the Holy Spirit's presence in us is the beginning of that life with them so that's the message of the early church it was given out for the first time to God-fearing Jews in Jerusalem. How we explain it today might, might vary according to the kinds of people or the histories of the people that we're talking to. Not everybody uh, we speak, we meet is God-fearing at all or even God-believing. But that's the essence of the message that God 
had kept good to his promises to his people to send a Messiah to save them from sin and bring them life so that they would live with him and he would live with them. That is a fantastic message and story. But how did it go down? How did it, how did it happen? You know, what was the response to this? And we get a little insight to that later, um, uh, later on in, in the account. Many of these men, men and women were deeply religious. In fact, Peter seems to address every Jew, believing Jew there, not just the men. Uh, and that's important. Um, but many of them perhaps had seen Jesus's ministry and had rejected it. And they thought, what is this about? You know, what's going on? Is it just another prophet? How can we trust it? Perhaps some of them had been helped by Jesus's ministry. Perhaps they'd been healed, uh, 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 but they'd not realised its fullness. Perhaps they'd sort of encountered God and not gone deeper. And we meet, and we meet that sort of that sort of that sort of example even today. And there were people who sort of had a miracle and then it didn't change them, and, and that's quite interesting. It's also uh, quite sad in some ways, isn't it? Uh, some of them, maybe some of them had wished that they'd actually thought things through and not supported the cries for Jesus's crucifixion. There's a deep sense of regret here that actually God was good and that it was their lack of faith, their lack of belief had really sort of uh, called them uh, called them out. Perhaps they thought that those spirits, uh, that, that promise of God's spirit in our hearts was was actually really only for a few people and not for now, not for then. Uh, and they didn't do and they didn't sort of hold on to it or they didn't see that it would be real. Perhaps they just didn't believe in the resurrection that God wouldn't allow this cursed man to have anything to do with his kingdom. Well, perhaps we sometimes have those doubts too. You know, it's walking with faith or, or people we know may have those doubts as well. But picture for a moment, picture for a moment the scene where the God-fearing people in Jerusalem could now see for themselves God's promises made real. Just imagine what that was like to see these simple men, and that's what they were called, simple men of Galilee, inheriting the promises of God that they themselves had rejected or not thought possible. It must have been quite heart churning, actually. Sometimes you just like uh, something you can't take your eyes away from, but you're not sure whether you want to be part of it or not. And Peter lays it squarely at them, the blame for this. He says, you're part of this, but there's forgiveness. And when they realize their sort of their moral need and God's grace being poured out for them, then they're cut to the heart. And that's the place where we meet God and he fills us and we can be transformed and so these people who perhaps had given up hope who may have felt that God had left them to it that their situation was that's how it is and that's what you deserve actually that's being turned around because God's message was I haven't given up on you look at what I'm doing in the in the fray in the face of your oppressors in, in this in the country where you wouldn't really that you isn't called yours isn't what is familiar to you I am here and those are things that probably we may be feeling a bit at the moment too but God had reminded them that through Jesus Christ we can have life and life in all its fullness and that's our prayer and that's the invitation that's the message of the church amen good morning when I say come Holy Spirit in my intercessions you can reply Come, Lord, come. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of you. We thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to teach us and perform signs and wonders among the people and that by his death and resurrection, 
All who come to him and repent are saved. Thank you that you poured out the Holy Spirit on all believers, then and now. We ask you to fill us afresh, today and every day, that we may honour you by our lives. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit drew thousands to hear Peter's preaching and 3,000 gave their lives to you that day. We pray for Christians around the world who are sharing the good news. Deepen their faith and their ability to proclaim your truth. Bless Matt and those who preach and teach at St John's. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we lift you Premier Radio, FIBA, ELAM, SAT7 and others who broadcast by television, radio, phone and internet into previously unreached and isolated areas and people. Bless them in their programming and their responses to those who have questions and want more information and need Bibles. Come, Holy Spirit. Father God, we lift to you the people of Beirut. We thank you for the large Christian population there who have been sharing the gospel powerfully with refugees from Syria. Pour out the Holy Spirit upon them at this tragic time. And we give thanks that SAT-7 staff in Beirut are all safe. We pray for comfort and healing for those who have lost loved ones or suffered injury. We pray for those in Lebanon who were already reeling from the effects of COVID-19 and the economic effects of the shutdown. May the rest of the world rise up to bring food and medical help to those who have nothing and are homeless. We lift up those for whom this incident has brought back painful and traumatic memories of the country's recent histories of bombings and assassinations. Lord, set them free from anger and fear. O oh Lord, we cry out to you for reconciliation between Lebanon's warring factions. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we call for an end to COVID-19. Give wisdom and a spirit of cooperation to all leaders, both locally and internationally, as they deal with this and give them a passion to right the wrongs of our societies. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for all those we know 
who are struggling with health, relationship and emotional issues. We just lift them to you now, Lord. Bless them with healing and a greater sense of your amazing love. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now we come to a time of confession. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have wandered and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts, and we have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things we, that we ought to have done, and we have done those things that we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But you, O Lord, have mercy upon us, sinners. Spare those who confess their faults, and restore those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a disciplined, righteous and godly life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. May the Father forgive us by the death of his Son and strengthen us to live in the power of the Spirit all our days. Amen. Peter writes to the church later, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Grace and peace to you all. Amen.